so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Speaking of ripoffs, I got a special heads up for you coming in just a second. And coming up yet later in today's Clark Rageous Moment, I need to talk about things you can do to protect your retirement accounts from crooks. But right now I have the great pleasure to be joined by the great Dave Lazarus of the Los Angeles Times. And actually, you're in how many newspapers around the country? Actually, I've asked that question. Uh, it seems as though the answer is dozens, but I can't get uh, a full tallying. But uh, it's an exciting prospect, the idea that the work appears all over the place. And you've become a multimedia star doing TV, radio, newspaper. Do you do a podcast, too? Uh, intermittently, not as a regular thing. Uh, right now, a lot of that goes into the newsletter. We'll see about the podcast. But for people who don't know who you are, you are a consumer finance writer extraordinaire, or whatever you call yourself. Fair enough. I think of myself as Jason Statham, but with more hair. You know, you just gave a popular cultural reference. That I don't even know what that is. Oh, dude, come on. Fast and Furious? Come on, keep up. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of out of it. Popular culture. I, I know nothing. You know, they just did the... Uh, nominees for the Academy Awards. I didn't know anything was. Anybody was. Nothing. I'm just out of it. Well, that's sad, but at least you're on top of the consumer stuff, and that's what counts. Well, and you are, too. And you're cool with popular culture. All right. So you have people that call you in great distress, as I do, too. And there's one that just seems to get worse and worse and it involves the grandparent scam. What's going on? Yeah, and listeners to your show are obviously going to be familiar with the grandparent scam. The long and the short of it is a senior gets a call from someone purporting to be a loved one, typically a grandchild, who comes across and says, Oh, Grandma, Grandpa, you have to help me. I've been arrested. I'm being detained. I need bail money. Wire me the money. And, of course, it's all a racket. It's all a fraud. But it preys on seniors' willingness and and really desire to do right by loved ones and it results in millions of dollars in losses to seniors every single year because they just get caught up in the moment and don't take that extra beat to be able to say yeah i didn't think my grandchild was in england or florida or wherever and before you know it they've wired the money never to be seen again and in my column not only did i tell the story of a southern california man who lost twenty seven thousand dollars to this racket. But I ask the question, should banks and other financial firms be doing more to protect seniors from this sort of thing? And I'll tell you, Clark, it it sparked a really lively debate online as to where that line should be. The difference basically between corporate responsibility versus individual responsibility. Interesting conversation. And the place I come down on this is even though some seniors may not need a little helping hand in this regard, many do. And the fact that millions of dollars get swept up in this scam every single year tells you that not enough is being done. The problem is banks are required by law to put through a lawful transaction. So if a senior comes in and says, I want to wire my entire savings account to somebody, by law, the bank needs to do it. But what I suggest is take that extra moment and have the bank teller just simply say, 
hey, are you familiar with something called the grandparent scam? And see if that one brief intervention might be able to save people a lot of heartache. Well, you know, the the banks in some states are under a requirement that they are to be there to, and they're protected if a teller holds up a transaction and asks questions. And tellers being trained and people, bank officers being trained to spot where an elderly customer may be getting scammed in many different ways, not just a grandparent scam, seems to me that that is a reasonable responsibility to expect of a bank and a banker. I agree completely. Now, the American Bankers Association tells me that most banks offer this training to tellers, and most banks strive to do right by their customers. But the fact that I'm writing about a guy who lost 27000 bucks uh, that tells you that maybe not enough is happening. And in his case, the teller did step up. The teller did say, why are you wiring this money? The guy then says, well, it's personal. And like most victims of the grandparent scam, he had been explicitly told by the scammers, don't tell anybody because that could have consequences for your loved one. The thing is, is should the teller have gone the next step? And, and when I was asked by others, well, what did you expect that person to do? The answer is simple. You discreetly say, have you ever heard of the grandparent scam? Have you called your loved one prior to this? Would you like a private office from which you could make the call right now? Those are very simple things that any bank could do, and certainly they have the resources to do it. God knows most banks have a lot of empty offices and empty teller stations these days. And that could, that could make a big difference. But many banks don't do it. In fact, I heard from a lot of seniors who said, uh, yeah, I, I was surprised when I got victimized by this that nobody stepped up to stop it. So let's talk prevention is the best cure. If you're hearing us talk right now, make sure that if you have aging relatives, that they are aware about how this thing plays and to always call you, text you, whatever, to verify that there is an actual problem. And 99.9% of the time, you'll find out it's just a scam. Yeah, that's very important advice. Also, AARP advises, look, don't even pick up the phone if you don't recognize the number. Let it go to the answering machine, and that'll give you the chance to take that extra beat to see if this is something you genuinely need to worry about. But I'm with you, Clark. 99.9% of the time, there is no danger to your loved one. And if this is a legitimate problem, they're not going to hesitate when you say, hey, can I take a couple of minutes just to make a quick phone call? Let me get back to you. If it's legit, they're going to say, of course do that. If they tell you no, no calls, don't tell anybody, big red flag. Well, David Lazarus, thank you so much for joining us, and you continue to be there for our fellow consumer. Thank you. Like I say, Jason Statham, look it up. Okay, okay. I, I get the eye roll from my whole family when I never know who a singer is, a performer, an actor, I mean, I am just a clueless man. Heather's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Heather. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Heather. Was it embarrassing to you that I didn't know who Jason Statham is? I don't think I do either. All right. Thank you very much. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) Perfect answer. Yes. Well, how can I be of service to you? 
Well, first I want to thank you for your service. Certainly. Many of my friends listen to you, and we get lots of pointers from you, so wanted to pass along our thanks. I appreciate that. So my problem is I am very empathetic, almost to the point of fault where I give I give a lot. I work in a high-poverty school. I'm an elementary school teacher, and I buy my students snacks every day, and they get prize box every Friday. And that's not so much it as I, I also have a couple friends who are, you know, down on their luck and maybe they can't pay their rent. And I get caught up in, do I help them or taking it out of my own savings? Or I don't know, I just get stuck. Like I end up feeling guilty if I don't help them out. So question for you, the amount of money that your kind heart pulls from your wallet is it affecting your own financial security? Are you doing this to the point that you're putting your own financial situation at risk or your future retirement at risk? No, not at all. Okay. Do you have people who who say, hey, you know, people are just taking advantage of you? I mean, like, what is yeah. it? Okay. <laughs> I get that a lot. You know, like, oh, you know, she's just found a, you know. That you're an easy mark. I'm an easy person, yeah, and but um All right, can I make yeah, a one, suggestion? I call it the sure. one time rule, sure, so when somebody gives you a story, forget the kids, I'm talking about adults, sure, when somebody gives you a story and you feel compelled to help that you mm-hmm. say, "I'll do what I can, but this is the only time I can ever do this for you, gotcha, and stick to it and mean it, okay. I like that idea. Because, you know, to ask you to stop being the kind-hearted soul you are and just go cold turkey is not going to work. No. (laughs) Right. But if you set a clear limit that protects you going forward and you give a very clear message, you know, I got to make sure I've been... been, um, putting myself in a situation, you tell a little bit of a fib other than what your answer was to me. You say, you know, I got to make sure I don't hurt myself financially so I can help you this one time, but I won't be able to help you again. Okay. Because usually once you've been soft-hearted with somebody, there are people that'll take advantage. And once you've done it once, they'll be back again and again. Have you had any of those repeat people? Yeah, I've had a couple. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, one one um, never paid me back anything, but that was kind of the understanding. And the other one had paid me back every time except the last time. Okay. But again, even if somebody is saying, I'm good for the money, I'll pay you back, I promise. Yeah. It still should only be one time. Okay. That because you can lot. still be a person who's got a good heart and great generosity and just set a limit. Okay. That helps a lot. Thank you. And for you to, to work in a in a school district, in an impoverished school, mm-hmm. and you could be working in you know a school with middle class kids or wealthy kids, and you're choosing to do what you're doing, and then on top of it, you're mm-hmm. helping out those kids out of your very low teacher paycheck. <laughs> I mean, you you're a great person. And Thank you're not you. going to be any less of a great person if you say to adults, this is the one time and this is it. 
And then you can feel like you've set a reasonable boundary. But keep being the great person you are. Chris is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Chris. Hey, Clark. Good to talk to you. Great to have you here, Chris. And you've got a very unusual situation to run by me. I do. Uh, We have a high school junior who surprisingly is telling us he may not want to go to college. And we have a very large 529 plan that we've been saving in ever since he was born. And we're wondering if he doesn't go to college, um, what options we might have for getting the funds out, possibly at his lower tax rate. (laughs) Yuck. Okay. um, So what you do is you want to wait a while to see if a a 16- or 17-year-old, you got some time, this picture could change. It could. So you don't want to react too strongly. As far as transferring the plan so the tax would then be at his lower tax rate than yours and giving him ownership of the account, you need to let the clock run till he is, I'm trying to remember the definition of when you're no longer a dependent now for financial purposes. I don't want to give you a wrong answer, but my memory is it's somewhere around age 25 where you could potentially transfer the ownership, although that is the rules on that are very particular in the 529 plan you're in. But then if he were to take the money at that point, it's never used for education, then there is a... um, 10% federal penalty, Mm -hmm. and then the tax as well. So it's an ugly amount of taxation. So it's best to wait till. Yeah, that's right. I was right. It's age 25. Okay. So thank you, Joel, for finding that. So you Mm -hmm. give the clock time to run. And also, I mean, between now and then, his feelings about education may change. The other possibility is you be a very generous relative to a niece or nephew or some other family member who would then have money to pay for their education. Okay, yeah, that's a good option. So we'll uh, we'll hang tight and see how things develop and consider that as he gets closer to 25. And the rules, again, about how you can change ownership and all that, those, uh, so much has changed with 529s over the years. Who knows nine years from now what the rule book will be then? Today's Clark Rageous Moment is a special heads up for you in those beautiful investigative reporting by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And there are people that are specifically trying to loot your retirement accounts, 401ks, that sort of thing, because federal law has not caught up with protections from hacking for you as the owner of a 401k plan. So criminals are hacking into your account and then sending instructions to the company that handles the 401k, pretending to be you and having the money sent out. Now, no federal law protects your account from hacking. But what you should know is that many of the companies that handle 401ks do provide protection for you in the event your account is hacked. But you can't count on that since it's not law. 
What you should do is make sure that you regularly monitor your 401k at least by checking the statements that often are mailed only four times a year, but at least when it comes in, make sure no funny stuff has happened. The other thing is set up two-factor authentication. Virtually every 401k provider in the country offers an additional security step. They will give you a list of choices usually that if somebody tries to hack into your account, they need a one-time use code that may have gone to your cell phone or somewhere else that they will not have access to and will not be privy to being able to use as a way to take over your account. Remember these two things so you don't suddenly have a 401k get sliced to nothing. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you being empowered with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website, ClarkDeals.com, where you go to save money each and every day. So something that may be costing you more for not too long, and you know, there are times you pay more, get less. And unfortunately, because of the increased severity of storms of various types that are hitting the United States and various natural disasters, we are going to see increased homeowner insurance rates not based on the normal cycle of competition in the homeowner's insurance industry. Let me tell you what I mean by that. In homeowner's insurance, and this applies to auto insurance as well, insurers go through cycles where they're either into market share or they're into profit margin. And the industry will will just somehow move with this semi-herd mentality where they're into increasing profits or they're into trying to steal share from each other. But there's a third factor, these natural disasters and storms, that are upending the assumptions by actuaries about what kind of losses insurers may see. And insurers also depend on the financial industry's ratings of an insurer's strength. So insurers have to maintain certain levels of financial strength, financial security, and those are being tested by the number of natural disasters and storms that we're facing. And so the greatest vulnerability starts on the coast. But then there are other areas of the country that have seen increasing instances of of destruction from severe storms. And for whatever reason, there, there are people who don't believe in climate change. But whether you believe in climate change or not, there has definitely been a change in the frequency of severe storms. And as I heard somebody say, I didn't know I lived to 200 because I've had two 100-year storms or floods or whatever. What was the expression? Did you ever see that, Joel? It was like, yeah, that they had two 100-year events in two years. And so there is 
something that is a trend that's not our friend. So how this affects you as a homeowner is if you live on the coast, you're going to see a reduction in the quality of the homeowner's insurance that's available to you, meaning that the coverage limits potentially being shrunk with potentially higher deductibles. And you have to be very careful and cautious with that if you have a mortgage on your property. Because your mortgage may have limitations on the deductible you're allowed to carry on your homeowner's insurance. And that may force a change in who you're insured by so that you can have the limit required Otherwise, your mortgage company, the bank, will do a ripoff product called force-placed insurance, which costs from 10 to 100 times what real insurance costs. It's a big profit center for the banks. And even if you have homeowner's insurance, if it doesn't comply with the terms of your mortgage, they can put this junk on you, again, called force-placed insurance. You will also find that different insurers are facing different financial pressures, one from another, and that if you are hit with a notice of an extremely large increase, that this is a signal for you to shop the market. There are people who are going to have a, a tough time with that, like people who live very close to the ocean in Florida, as example, or North Carolina, are going to find it to be a difficult road to find a robust policy at a premium you're happy with. But just know that behind the scenes, homeowners insurers are facing significant financial pressures, and what the market calculates is higher risk levels because of the increased frequency and violence of storms. And that is something you have to to be aware of and be prepared for as well. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, John. How's it going? Uh, just fine. <clears throat> Great day. A little gloomy. <clears throat> I'm sorry it's gloomy. <laughs> um. Let's see if I, I can I bring kinda... some bright light and sunshine into your day. Okay. Um, I guess I'm wanting your permission or your blessing. I've I'm ready. Like I'm... Okay. I moved money to an online savings account and was letting it sit there. And then my credit union came up with a new type of account <clears throat> that on um, amounts up to $50,000. As long as you uh, um, download their app, do online banking, already did both of those, and do 12 debits a month. Now, I've never used a debit card in my life till now. And what do you get if you do the 50 and the 12 oh. debits? Oh, three and a quarter percent interest. That's uh, That's a deal worth doing. I mean, okay, you think anybody make... else with $50,000 in an account, they're going to be lucky <laughs> right now to earn more than 1.75%. Oh, I don't have 50 in there, but I wish I did. Oh, oh up to 50. Okay. So <laughs> up, up to, to that. All right. So, and, uh, 
I don't use my debit card anywhere but grocery stores and box stores. Never online and never major purchase. Just make sure you always hit those 12 transactions a month. Uh, I've done it for two months now to see if it worked, and it works just fine. Then this is this is great for you. I mean, there's always the enhanced risk with a debit card uh-huh. with compromises of the card, and then they're going after the money in your credit union checking account. But if you are careful where you use it and you get those transactions done, why not earn, you said 3.25%? Yes, sir. Grab it. Now, you know they're paying for the 3.25% from all the money they make from you doing the debit transactions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I knew that. (laughs) So the retailers you go to uh, are really kind to you because they're they're the reason you're getting the 3.25%. But yes, you don't need my blessing. This is just smart. Okay, well, thank you very much. That's what I wanted to hear. All right, have a great day. You too also. So, yeah, these accounts have been around, I guess, for like a decade. And they they grow and wane in popularity over time. But it just tells you how much retailers and restaurants and supermarkets and everybody gets ripped off by the credit card issuers and the payment processing systems that the fees they pay are so gigantic that in turn you're able to have a checking account that pays three and a quarter percent. What a deal. Andy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Andy. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Andy. You are a good saver. I've been trying. (laughs) What's going on? Um, Not a lot. Um, I just wanted to get your opinion and see how well you thought I was on the right track and, uh, my big thing was I just kind of came into a, a uh, inheritance. Well, I'm, I'm sorry you lost a loved one. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, just basically, you know how to handle that um, and what to put that in, or, you know, is it just a, better to have a big nest egg um, in cash, you know, in the bank? So as far as your overall financial picture are you eligible to do Roth IRAs? Uh, I am. And are you fully funding one right now? Um, I've got a 401k through my company um, that I've been contributing, and uh, they're doing a they're doing the I guess the investments, and then also a Roth IRA on top of that. I guess as a separate account. You mean at your employer? Right, right. No, you'd be doing, if you're doing something at your employer, it would likely be a traditional 401k, and you probably have the option of a Roth 401k. Okay, that's right. Yeah, but you can also do your own Roth IRA, and you're allowed to put $6,000 into it, and we're so early in 20 that you can do a 19 contribution before you file your income tax. So if okay. you if you received a substantial inheritance, one of the lowest hanging things to do that really works for you long term is put six grand in for last year and put six grand in for this year and that'll get you twelve of whatever the dollars are you inherited invested right away in a tax free account that can grow through the rest of your working lifetime. 
and then everything in it, everything you earn is yours tax-free. Okay. And are you married? No, I have a fiancé. Okay. So it depends on how much you love your fiancé. You could also give her (laughs) six and six. Okay. With the money you inherited and uh, help her build up a Roth IRA. Right, right. Did I still leave a lot of money hanging out there? Yeah, I, I inherited about 50000 Okay. So, Do you have any debts that we could talk about? No, no debts. Uh, no credit cards. Um, everything, pretty much. Yeah. Debt free, pretty much. All right. And do you own a home already that you and your fiance will live in? Or what are you thinking about housing for the two of you? Uh, yes, we have a, a home that we own. Okay. So no move there. So increasing what you're saving through the retirement plan at work would be maybe the next thing. Okay. Because my goal is I'm looking for every way to, to put this money somewhere because historically, people who receive an inheritance somehow start thinking, hey, maybe I'll get that new TV I wanted, or maybe it's time <laughs> for new wheels or whatever. So as much of the 50 as you can commit different places, uh, the better it's going to be in terms of the money not being spent on things other than being put aside for financial security. But I did forget to mention to you, Andy, my one rule when you have an unexpected sum of money, take 10% of it and do something fun with it. And that way you take, in your case, five grand, take a great vacation, take a nice honeymoon together, do something really fun, um, almost the point of frivolous with the money. And then the rest of it, you can have more of a mindset that you're putting it aside for practical reasons, practical uses. Joe joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Joe. How you doing? I'm doing great, Clark. I was hoping to get some advice on car insurance. Let's see if I can be of use to you. Okay. Uh, my wife and I both purchased cars in 2013. Uh, mine's a 13 model. Hers is a 14. And we both have you know, low mileage of under 65,000. Wow. Uh, you don't do I'm a lot there. of driving. No, I have a very short commute. My wife works from home, so it's really, uh, really a, g- a good deal for us. Uh, you know, I know the resale value on these cars is, you know, between twelve and fourteen thousand. Uh, so I'm wondering, at what point does it make sense to drop collision coverage and only carry liability coverage on a used car on, a, on an older car? Yeah. So at twelve and fourteen, you're probably too high. The safest zone for dumping collision and comprehensive is when the value of the vehicle is down to where the insurance premiums would exceed 10% of the remaining value. I mean, in your example, that would require that you're paying 1200 bucks a year on the $12,000 car and 1400 a year on the $14,000 in value car for collision and comprehensive calculated on an annual basis. And you would have to have really, really expensive insurance to have tripped past those kind of premiums. Yeah, I think based on what I'm paying now, we're, uh, we're still not close to that level yet. So, you know, there are people who 
it freaks me out, but there are people who only buy liability when they have a vehicle worth quite a bit of money. And if you were to total a vehicle and you're out $12,000, what would that do to you financially in your life? We could buy a new car and it wouldn't kill us, wouldn't hurt us that bad. Okay, so then we're talking about the psychological aspect because the purpose of insurance is to replace things you can't afford to replace. So if you're so financially secure that not covering for collision comprehensive would have no impact on your life, then this is really about sleeping well at night. Okay, that makes that makes perfect sense. So if it's just dollars and cents, the original formula I gave you is normally what's recommended based on how often people have accidents, that kind of thing. But if if the money to replace is not significant in your life, then just make your own call. Now, I, I'll tell you, I continue to keep collision comprehensive till the formula. And I, I don't know that's the right decision on my part. You've got to make the right call for you. Joel, we have time for an Ask Clark right here. And Ask Clarks are where you post on Clark.com when you have a question. Sometimes you'll be speaking to me. Sometimes you'll speak to one of our team Clark members. And then other times, producer Joel will ask your question for you. Yeah, Clark Ram has a question. He says, will having a 529 plan reduce my chances of getting scholarships? So generally not. So a 529 plan, if it's owned by the parent for the benefit of the child, as a general rule, will not affect eligibility for scholarships and has a minimal effect on financial aid. So it's more important with the idea that that scholarships are maybes, but money in a 529 plan is certain that Contributing to a 529 plan is a great thing to do to defray the costs of college. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.